Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome back to the studio today with Aging Fearlessly and Karen. My guest, I have two today. I have Louise Mace, who you will have met before. She's from New Way to Stay. And I have Claire Nielsen from Shipton and Associates. So welcome, ladies. Hi, Karen. I'm going to ask Claire, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself, Claire. Uh, So my name's Claire. I'm a solicitor with Shipton and Associates. We're a small firm in Manly. We do a lot of general practice type work, family law, uh, wills and estates, estate planning and conveyancing. And Louise, tell us a bit about New Way to Stay. You and Les came in a couple of months ago and we had a long chat about New Way to Stay, but tell the listeners today what New Way to Stay is all about. Um, We're a fairly new concept business focused in helping people who are facing a crisis in the aged journey um, and normally our clients are either the adult children or the aging people themselves and uh, what we do is we act as a concierge type all-in-one service that comes in and looks at a situation hopefully before it happens or as it's happening and basically helps people map out the choices in their whole life and all the important things that they need to get in order once a crisis happens due to uh, you know an accident or a health situation or or beforehand so I'd say we're an all-in-one concierge system that helps match people to the right services and we do a lot of uh, due diligence and research and vet those services services across all sorts of things like legal, estate planning, financial, home care, therapeutic, you know, pretty well anything you can imagine that someone will need as they enter an ageing crisis. That's what we do. Well, I'm well aware of that because my mum shortly turns 92 and even this last week or so we've had a lot of things going on with her health and the family we're constantly talking about how we can help her and you know, what's the next situation that we might be faced with, even though we're fairly well planned, it's, um, it mm. can get really... It's complicated. It's, well, and it puts a lot of um, pressure on some members of the family who take a lot of responsibility. And because I don't live nearby, I don't take so much responsibility. Mm, it's very hard. Responsibility. I'll try and say that again. Yes, it is very hard. So um, why did you feel that it was important to bring Claire along today? Well, in the theme of Ageing Fearlessly, which this um, show is all about, um, I have a few reasons, but the most important reason is in our organisation we see so many issues across a broad spectrum when we enter the home of a family in crisis. And in the aged care um, scenario, it's quite often people think, oh, the first thing we really need, we just need some home care or we need a nursing home. Um, People jump to all those initial first thoughts, but it's so rare that people actually think, actually, are are our legal affairs in order? Yeah. Um, Has that been sorted out? Because that is such an important part of it and um, so often overlooked or not current. 
and I see it all the time. I've experienced it myself in my, which is what led me to start this business. So that's why I think it's a really important topic to enlighten listeners. And I can't think of anyone better than Claire to be on the show to give those answers. Yeah, I I do hear every now and again someone says, "Oh, I might have to do a will," and I think, "I beg your pardon, you haven't got a will," mm. and mm. and they look at you like, "Well, you know, I'm." Not that old yet, but it's not the point. We don't know what's around the corner, do we? No, we don't. So, Claire, tell us a little bit about estate planning. So, estate planning really covers things like making a will and making your power of attorney and making your appointment of enduring guardian. So, those are the three main documents that people come in to get help with from us. It's really about making sure that your financial affairs are in order and in terms of an enduring guardian, that your medical affairs are in order, preferably before it becomes an issue for you. And So that's the main thing that we, we try to get across to people and I suppose the important thing for people that I wish people knew for estate planning for their families is to do these things early. It's much easier to think about and, and have these discussions when you are comparatively young and comparatively healthy the time for doing these types of documents and thinking about the management of your life and your estate is not when you're in crisis it's not when you're in hospital it's not as people start to lose capacity Um, and those are those are the real issues that we see presenting again and again if you're in crisis you're also not thinking clearly not easily no and I have heard from an experience, a family experience, that when they looked at someone's will and they'd written it three months before they passed away, it was a really strange will. It was as if the person wasn't thinking. Mm. And, and that, that can happen and, and you can see there are cases that arise where you've got somebody who's made perhaps a series of very consistent wills throughout their life. They've updated as their circumstances change, but then not long before their death, they've made a will that is quite different to the previous ones. And that sort of thing can happen, particularly as people's um, capacity starts to diminish. It can be very important that they have that consistency of contact, preferably with the same person, uh, because often our role as solicitors is to notice when something has changed Mm -hmm. and ask a few more questions. Another situation that I had a, a girlfriend around 10 years ago who was very, very unwell with cancer and she was redoing her will because her marriage had fallen apart and the uh, solicitor that she was doing that with was away. So the will actually wasn't signed when she passed. That's just another example of leaving it... Leaving it a little bit too too late, late. unfortunately. I know her circumstances were changing drastically all the time but I mean I was talking to her about that earlier saying you need to put things in place even though you don't want to have to say you might you know you you just in case yeah of the three power of attorney enduring guardian and wills is there any one of them that's more important than the other not really to my mind Um, they all do different jobs uh, different functions and they can all be incredibly important at different times in your life so the power of attorney and the appointment of enduring guardian operate while a person is still alive the power of attorney gives somebody the uh, power to make financial decisions on behalf of a person while they're still alive 
If it's an enduring power of attorney, then it continues after that person has lost the capacity to change it. And so it can be incredibly useful in practical situations where somebody has had a bad accident, they're in hospital, they can't manage their affairs, or as people start to age and perhaps they just lose the capacity to manage their finances. Um, it can be incredibly difficult for family members if there's no documents in place that give someone else the power to do that. Um, the appointment of enduring guardian gives someone else the power to make medical decisions on behalf of a person. So most nursing homes will require somebody to have a guardian. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, and again, if it's not done early and perhaps the person starts to get a bit panicky about their own situation, it can be very difficult for them to think about giving away this power to someone mm. else. It's yep. much easier to do it, again, when you're comparatively young, comparatively healthy. Um, and having those documents in place just means that at a time of crisis or a time when there's a whole lot going on for that person and a whole lot going on for their family, you can have a seamless transition to somebody being able to access the money they need for medical care and being able to get a place in a nursing home at the time that it pops up. You don't always have beds in the area where the people want to go. Um, so if something comes up in a nursing home that you'd like them to be able to go to, any other care facility, having those documents in place can really smooth the smooth that pathway. Yeah. Georgie girl, can I sing Hey There? Go for no, it. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is your choice, Louise. I know. Okay, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> I have a beautiful daughter-in-law called Georgia, and we call her Georgie. And she's the mother of twins and a four-year-old, and she works full-time. She's amazing. And this particular song really um, mattered to me when I was a kid. I love the words. I love that it's an empowering female song. And it's Georgia's birthday in a couple of days, so I'm dedicating this to Georgia. Georgie. <laughs> The clothes you wear You're always window shopping But never stopping to buy So shed those downy feathers And fly a little bit Hey there, Georgie girl There's another Georgie deep inside Bring out all the love you hide And oh, what a change there'd be
You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. I'm with Louise Mace and Claire Nielsen today and we're talking about estate planning. So Louise, you founded the business New Way to Stay largely as a result of your own set of experiences with your late father. What was it with this experience that made you so passionate about ensuring your own clients had the access to solid legal protection? Well, my situation with my father was that he'd been a very independent, proud man who had um, lived alone for many years and um, he had full capacity. He didn't have diminished capacity at all, but his health went into rapid decline over a period of 12 months and uh, I was working full-time managing quite a large business unit at that time and uh, found that I was spending copious hours sitting on the edge of his hospital bed while he struggled even in CCU to write checks because... I didn't have power of attorney or I'd have to go into Manly and take half an hour because he could barely walk into the bank mm. while we stood there in queue or he'd sit down. And oh, my goodness. We went through such incredible hardship. And I'd mentioned it a couple of times, but he closed up. I don't mm. think he understood what it was. Yep. And, and I was just too emotional and too close to it myself to really bring it up with him. We had an ACAT assessment and even the ACAT assessor could see that I was taking a lot of time off and under a lot of stress myself. And she suggested, mostly for my sake, more you know, maybe it would be a good idea to give me power of attorney but he he did give it to me but it was too late I'd, I'd already taken so much time off work it was crazy and I think now that I'm in my business myself being an objective person I realized it was a really hard question for me to ask as I'm so close to him but being an objective person with clients where it's got nothing to do with me other than a good outcome for them um, there's often a big sigh of relief when I'm in the room and I say to the you know the clients has anybody considered you know someone having power of attorney or does anybody have it because there's a lot of moving parts here and there's a lot of complexity and, um, you know, you might find it easier. And that's worked really well and I've, I've actually encouraged a couple of clients to go to Claire and she sorted that out really quickly for them. Made well, a big difference. I had a question, Claire. You must see all sorts of emotions coming into this and maybe some hesitations sometimes when you see clients about, well, yeah, but I'm young or I'm... Tell us a little bit about what you see when people are coming in, say, to do a more an enduring guardianship and a power of attorney. Well, that's what we, we see, I think, is that often it's the children who say, if it's, if it's sort of been left too late, is, oh, yeah, you know, mum was thinking about doing this but hasn't done it and now they're in a position where really they need those documents but mum or dad is reluctant to now give up that power Um, and it seems to be that when people are fit and healthy they they're quite happy to just to sign their appointment of enduring guardian or their power of attorney because it's off in the future and and it's not something that they're thinking about imminently but once they start to their health starts to fail or they're actually really confronting potentially going to a nursing home or or not being able to manage their own affairs, it becomes a much, much harder conversation to have. And so from our perspective, we don't see it firsthand the way Louise does when she speaks to families because we often just take the phone calls from the children who say, what can I do? And really there is very little they can do at that point. The person has to want to make 
those changes and have to want to make those documents and they have to feel confident about it and they have to have capacity. Once they've started to lose the understanding of what those documents do, we can't do them anymore. Today we're talking more about aged care. Mm. I want to come back to you, Claire, Mm -hmm. because things can happen in our lives driving down the street, walking down the footpath, and you might be nowhere near the age of needing an aged care facility. However, you may have an accident that renders you unable to think and do things for yourself. Absolutely. And again, you would see that happening too. And I think younger people don't so much think about an enduring guardianship or a power of attorney. No, but it's a great thing to do at really any age because it does just put an arrangement in place that you'll probably never use. And I always say to people, you know, sign your documents. We put them in safe custody for you. Forget about it. You may never have to use them Um, or you might not use them for 20 years or 30 years. But in the odd occasion where something does happen, where somebody has had some sort of catastrophic accident or, you know, just... Um, even are in a situation where they're not able to communicate with their doctors and aren't able to manage their own financial affairs, having someone who can pay your bills and make sure your mortgage doesn't go into arrears and Mm -hmm. just all the basic life admin um, can really help you out, you know, even if you're only in that situation for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Is there an age limit? Uh, You don't have the legal capacity to make a will before you're 18. Mm -hmm. In certain circumstances, particularly for disabled children or under certain other circumstances, a court can actually make what's called a statutory will on Mm -hmm. behalf of somebody who is under 18. Um, But that is the process. So, yeah, as soon as you're 18, you should have a will, you should have a power of attorney and an appointment of injury and guardian. Later on, I want to talk about the implications of not having a will. Yes. I think that that's a really important thing because people sort of think, well, you know, maybe I haven't got much, but we'll come back to that. Sure. Your song today, Snow Patrol Chasing Cars. Yes. Did it's, Louise make you choose this? She did. <laughs> the actual song or did no, she just said, she said choose two to cars? Choose, choose. <laughs> she said choose a couple of songs and I, I love music so I've got lots of favourite songs but it was more difficult to think about why they speak to me, I suppose, it, particularly in this context. But this song um, it is, I mean, I think it's well written and I think it's a good song and I enjoy it um, but I think it's very much about just being with someone who's going through a difficult time and I like that about it.
and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. In the studio with me today are Louise Mace from New Way to Stay 
and Claire Nielsen from Shipton and Associates. And we're talking about estate planning, a very, very important topic for everyone over 18 to be aware of and to have up to date. Claire, how often should people be redoing their will, their enduring guardian or their power of attorney? Well, none of those documents expire. So in theory, you can do them once and they will continue to be in effect until you change them and revoke those previous ones and and make new ones. But the reality is that, particularly with wills, if you have a change in circumstances, you should update your will. Particularly with blended families and different family situations that we see coming through the office now, if somebody's got something a little unusual in their family situation, perhaps there's a person who would ordinarily be expected to be part of the will and isn't. Those are the types of wills that I recommend people update regularly. I often get people to review their wills once every three years, which is the same time that they review their binding death benefit nomination in relation to their super fund, Mm -hmm. just to make sure that their wishes haven't changed, make sure the arrangements are still the same, and sometimes to reaffirm a decision that they've made in relation to their estate planning, which might come to the attention of a court after their death. Yeah, you don't want things to have to go to court, do you? You try and avoid it as much as you can. And we try to make the documents as long-lasting as possible. So if you have a power of attorney or an appointment of enduring guardian in place, we recommend that people appoint substitutes. So if your first nomination, for whatever reason, is unable to act in that capacity, that there's a substitute person who steps in without you having to remake the document. Yeah, because I was thinking when you were talking about this, what if my my guardian passed away before I did? Yes. Then what do you do? Do you have to go back and think, well, now I need to do this again? Yes. And, and often people don't or, or they, they forget or they perhaps have lost capacity by that point. So you really want to make sure that the documents will last as long as possible. The same with your wills. If you've appointed an executor, Uh, We encourage people to think of at least having two executors. Some people have three, just to make sure that at the time that the the will is used, there's a person available who's going to step into your shoes as your personal representative and um, be able to apply for probate. So the executor of a will, what's their role? So they administer the estate. And uh, so when you pass away... The person who is named in your will as your executor is what we call your legal personal representative. Uh, And they apply to the court for what's called probate of the will. And once they have a grant of probate, then they are authorised, essentially, by the court to gather together the assets, pay the debts of the estate, and then distribute the estate in accordance with your will. Oh, so... You can have more than one executor. You can, definitely. Or you can have substitutes. So you could have this person, but if this person's not available, someone else, and if that person's not available, someone else. Louise, when you're talking to your clients about estate planning, do you gather them all together? How does this conversation go? Well, typically we're talking about their whole life, not just about estate planning. We're looking at all of the various obstacles that may or may not be in their way of achieving their goals 
and um, I have a, a, a fairly robust fact-finding process that I go through just to encourage people to think about what could happen if certain things weren't in place or what could happen that's good for them if they are in place on the positive yep. side. And the legal conversation is always a very you know, solid part of what we go through. We look at their home safety and all sorts of aspects of, of their life at that point but um, and their financial security as well. But the legal aspect, and, and particularly for us, if they choose to um, engage us as ongoing advocates to manage um, the process required for them to achieve their goals, you know, we, we need to know who we'd be communicating to with as well if there's if there are power of attorney or enduring guardian, we need to know who, who our clients are in the, in the cycle. So the way that I smooth it is that it's just part of an overall you know, questioning, fact-finding process. So it, it feels, uh, I think, for the family, and I mentioned that before, it, it just feels very straightforward and factual and normal. It's not, there's no emotional outcome for yeah. me. It's just a general question. Yep. But, but quite often in the room, the whole family will stop and say, well, actually, you know, we've only got Rob who lives in New Zealand. He's our brother and mum and dad are here in Sydney and we probably do need someone to think about that now. Um, you know, and the will might have been 20 years ago. And I say, is this your first marriage or your second marriage? Or that was made, you know, 20 years ago when, in one of my, I actually haven't done that since then. And so lots of little conversations start popping up in the room because we do try and talk to the whole family if we can when we first meet. And, um, and then you realise, and then that's when I said, look, I'd really, I'm going to come back and give you some really solid advice and I'll put it all in writing. But um, one of those things is go, I'm going to encourage you to seek some legal advice. Must be really helpful for families families if they're living overseas and their parents are here and the parents are aging and come into difficulty looking after themselves it must be great for them to have a business like you that can step in and be there um, to support them when they're so far away you know and I know it's only a plane ride but you can't just jump on a plane Mm. sometimes at the drop of a hat can you yeah we certainly get that feedback Karen and it's always very rewarding to know that we can help like that I imagine even like this week when we were discussing my sister was going away for a few days and if mum wasn't well, I didn't tell you this, but I was maybe going to have to jump in the car. But it was like last minute we were watching like till about Wednesday, then I knew it was going to be okay. But, you know, I promised my sister if she went away that I would be there to look look after mum, you know, but it's sort of... Yeah. When you're that far away, you've, you're, it's only four or five hours drive, but it's still far enough away that you can't see everything that's going on. Oh, so imagine yeah. being overseas. Um, we know a really number. Hard. We see a number of people going through that. It's it's horrendous for them. Um, you know, one one lady I, I know personally whose mum's in Germany, and she must have flown back and forth to Germany about ten times in the last two years. She was her only child until she passed away, and you know the stress it was on her and her family were was enormous. But you know that's what happens. And I saw a family that the son had been over to visit his mum, flown back, and she'd passed away and turned around and had to fly back yet again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, and people. Well, they obviously want to be there for the respect of their parents, but yeah, it's um, it's tough when they're overseas. Mm. So I hear Claire, people often do their wills via the post office, but what are the advantages of having your will properly prepared by a solicitor as opposed to doing it yourself? There are a few advantages. <laughs> One of which is that the will should be properly drafted. One thing that... Pe- people don't really potentially understand 
if you don't do it all the time, is how difficult it is to actually draft something which conveys your wishes accurately five years in the future, ten years in the future. And so people, when they're writing their post office wills, often think that they're being very clear about what they want, but when somebody completely unconnected with them reads it later on, it can have really unintended consequences. Mm. The other advantages are that we ask questions and talk about people's circumstances. And sometimes there's things that people don't think about, like if they have a person in their life or from their past who might actually have a claim on their estate when they pass away. If it's not dealt with properly in the will and by we usually usually use a memorandum of wishes or a statutory declaration explaining why a person has made certain gifts in their will and perhaps excluded somebody, Mm -hmm. then they could be leaving their family open to a long and contested litigation over the estate. Some other things such as the knowledge that um, superannuation assets don't automatically form part of your estate. Is that right? That is right. So the trustee of a superannuation fund has the discretion to pay benefits from your super to certain classes of people, including spouses and children, people who are dependent or interdependent on you. Uh, There was a recent case where a soldier, I, I think he perhaps died on deployment or after he'd returned to Australia, but he, instead of his superannuation benefits from the military going to his children, they were claimed by his de facto partner of a fairly short duration, I think two two to three years. So there's a few ways to overcome that. One of them is by making a binding death benefit nomination, which needs to be made every three years. And people just need to understand that rather than have an assumption that, okay, all of my assets, including my super, are going to form part of my estate and be distributed under my will. So Mm. for me, the biggest and most important part of it is having those conversations, understanding the person's circumstances, understanding the nature of their assets and understanding really, truly what it is that they want to achieve by making their will. And never make assumptions. And never make assumptions. Always ask the questions. Ed Sheeran, Castle on the Hill, Claire. I chose this song, I, again, it's just a song that I really like. I like the theme of coming home. I like the theme of coming home to family and in this song being um, the friends that he's chosen for himself as his family. So, When I was six years old, I broke my leg I was running from my brother and his friends And tasted the sweet perfume of the mountain grass I rolled down I was younger then Take me back to when I found my heart Broke it here, made friends and lost through the years And I've not seen the boring fields in so long I know I've grown But I can't wait to go home I'm on my way
15 years old Smoking and rolled cigarettes Running from the law through the back fields And getting drunk with my friends Had my first kiss on a Friday night I don't reckon that I did it right But I was younger then Take me back to when we found Weekend jobs and when we got paid We'd buy cheap spirits and drink them straight Me and my friends have not thrown up in so long Oh how we've grown But I can't wait to go home sell clothes one works down by the coast one had two kids but lives alone one's brother overdosed one's already on his second wife one's just barely getting by but these people raised me and I can't wait to go home and I'm on my I still remember these old country lanes When we did not know the answers and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. I'm with Louise Mace and Claire Nielsen. Louise is from New Way to Stay and Claire is from Shipton and Associates. And Louise, you have a question for Claire. I do, Claire. A lot of our clients uh, vary in ages from 60s right through to 80s, 90s and including the end of their life and they want that support from us right through to the end of their life, which we offer them. And there's one aspect, aside from the Enduring Guardian, that uh, is often mentioned by the palliative care teams that we talk to as they wish they had it or they wish it was in order, and that's an advanced care directive. And I I find, in my experience, very few people are across or know even what an advanced care directive is. What's your opinion on that, Claire? What do you suggest to to people should be doing? 
Um, I always talk to people about it as part of the discussion around having an appointment of enduring guardian. So a lot of people put in the enduring guardian document itself just some very general statements about the type of care that they would like to receive. A lot of people say that you know, they don't want to be kept by alive by artificial means or extraordinary measures, that they would like medication given to them to alleviate suffering, even though it may shorten their life. So we've got some general clauses that we talk to people about. Where we have people who are either a little older or who have particular illnesses or particularly strong views about the type of care they'd like to receive at the end of their life, we do talk to them about making an advanced care directive. They are much more specific. The form that we use um, comes from New South Wales Health and you can access it on the internet actually. And it does talk about very uh, specific things. Some people don't want to be resuscitated, some people don't want to be intubated, some people don't want to be ventilated. And they can go through and they can make those checks on the form. And if somebody wants to have an advanced care directive, we normally put a clause in the appointment of enduring guardian which says that the person is authorising their enduring guardian and directing them to carry out their care in accordance with the advanced care directive. There's various extents that people go to. As I say, some people don't really want to think about the nitty-gritty of it. Some people just want to have some blanket statements, give the people who are making those decisions an idea of what they would like. And some people want to be absolutely detailed about it. Mm. What are the consequences of not having an advanced care directive, uh, you know, with, with the family? What sort of things could happen or go wrong? Well, an advanced care directive is simply an extension of your right as a person to make choices about your medical care. If you can communicate with the doctors, you could make those choices. Really, an advanced care directive is telling your enduring guardian, this is the decision that I I say at this time I would have made if I could communicate it at Mm. the time. But people are put in situations all the time where perhaps there's no enduring guardian or there's no advanced care directive and they don't know what the person's wishes are. Obviously, I think that's really hard on the enduring guardian. I think it's very difficult for them to put themselves in the shoes of that person and try and make decisions for them that might end up being coloured by the guardian's own views about their own end-of-life care as opposed Mm. to what that person wants. I really think the more specific you can be, the more more information you give to your guardian, the more peace of mind you're giving them because you're letting them understand. But I don't think it's a substitute also for having the conversations with people. Yeah. One of the doctors that I've interviewed, oh, probably about 12 months ago, talked about this as well and the importance of having an advanced care directive. And, you know, he was encouraging people to do that because he sees situations all the time in his practice where people don't have it. And, and I look, I think it's a very important thing, but it is, from my experience, when people are looking at it, it's quite confronting. Yeah to think about things in that detail. I don't find people have an issue with the general comments about, you know, not wanting to be kept alive by artificial means and extraordinary measures, but when they actually start to think about, well, would I want to be put on a ventilator if I was unable to breathe on my own? Do I want to be resuscitated? That type Mm. of thing. That becomes difficult, more difficult for people, I think, to, um, to confront. Yeah. Louise... 
Retirement village contracts and residential care contracts, what information do you have or want to share with about this? Uh, well, uh, the big message with retirement village contracts and residential care contracts, starting with retirement village, um, they have quite complex uh, contracts and inclusions that a lot of people we find don't read or don't um, ask for the correct professional advice before they sign them. And um, you've probably seen some of the Aveo um, news media that was around a year ago of people complaining about exit fees and different things that they thought or they didn't read the contract, they didn't realise were there. Um, the contracts are quite straightforward legally, but without having your own solicitor look after them, there's all sorts of um, loopholes I think people can fall into if they don't get mm. that advice and, and don't get it explained to them. And residential care, similar. Um, and I would also encourage people to seek out the services of a, a good financial advisor advisor as well as a as legal advice I actually think that they're, they're two different things but we always I mean it's up to the clients but we always strongly suggest that they consider doing both yeah it's um, great advice you know people just it's like you say at times like this people get confused themselves you know because they're dealing like you were with your career and your dad and Everything it's, starts to build up. And your mind's confused, yeah? yeah. Sometimes it just is very tiring, mm. totally exhausting, stressful, all of those things wrapped up in one. So for me, when I talk about ageing fearlessly, obviously fear's a part of our life, but having all your ducks in a row allows you to go out into the world and enjoy life, knowing that things are covered. So that's why it's important for me to have these things in place for myself because they're not them playing on my mind. Mm. Sing a song. The Carpenters. You are going back, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm an old-fashioned girl. <laughs> you are. They, much like the songs last time. I think we had Moon River, didn't we? <laughs> yes, I think I was coming to the wrong century. <laughs> Um, uh, well, sing a song. Um, I've been thinking a lot about my childhood lately. We've, um, I've discovered some long-lost relatives and um, I've been casting my mind back to my childhood and I was born in the 60s. And, again, um, thinking of an emotive song or something that resonates with me, I, I, I was quite shy and lonely as a kid. And I remember a, a conversation in my back kitchen with my mother saying to me one day when I, I don't know, I was off to school to compete in a sports event or something that I had no confidence in and knew that I probably wouldn't do very well. And this song came on the radio. And she said, Louise, this song is a message to you to, and you should listen to the words. And I, it's funny how I would have only been about eight or nine, but I've always remembered that. And every time it comes on... I and I, it just it inspires me. <laughs> sing, sing a song, sing out loud, sing out strong. Sing of good things, not bad Sing of happy, not sad
sing a to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Today we're talking about estate planning with Claire Nielsen and Louise Mace. Claire, what are the potential consequences of a failure to make a proper estate planning arrangement? I think overall the main consequence is that you lose the opportunity to make decisions for yourself about how things are going to be managed towards the end of your life and what happens to your estate after you pass away. And that's the main thing that people want is choice and control over mm-hmm. what happens. If you don't have a power of attorney in place and you don't have an enduring guardian in place and you get to a point where you're unable to manage your affairs... Um, your loved ones, your family, have the opportunity to go to the guardianship tribunal and seek orders that would allow them to make those decisions on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you don't get a choice in which family member that is because by that time, usually somebody has really lost the capacity to make their own decisions. Um, And it can take a lot longer So it can take a lot longer between somebody losing capacity and actually getting to the tribunal and getting the order. Um, It can lead to arguments and Mm -hmm. discord between the family members as to who is going to be responsible, who's going to make this application. Sometimes you have multiple cross-applications being made. Um, It just gets a bit messy. And instead of the person having the choice and saying, well, 
actually, I think this person out of my four kids or whatever is the appropriate person to manage my finances and this is the person I'd like to be making medical decisions on my behalf, someone else is going to make that decision for you, a tribunal member on the application of your family members. Um, without making a will, if you die without a will, um, it's, it's referred to as dying intestate and your estate is then dealt with under the intestacy provisions of the Succession Act, um, which provides for various family members to inherit in a, in a sort of a cascading scale, I suppose, for a better way to describe it. Um, and once again, you've lost the choice. You don't get to say yeah. that, you know, my jewellery that was so special to me and I'd like to go to my grandchildren, you've lost the opportunity to make that happen. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so it will be decided by court, ultimately. Yeah. Well, I think it's great advice that you're giving on, on doing this and I hope people sort of take note and if they haven't done it, go out and do it. Louise, can you sum up how New Way to Stay supports people as they age? We basically support people in any way that they feel or may not be aware of might need to make their their goals in life uh, a reality. Um, typically when there is a scenario when somebody's ageing and it's usually in a crisis, it's either the children or a neighbour or the spouse who steps in and um, starts to own the problems as they escalate and, and, and it's usually a, a massive health issue, a fall or a stroke or something. And um, that person is unprepared, um, often unskilled, doesn't know where to go. And to be honest, like I was skilled, even if you are skilled, it is so complicated and, and it doesn't get easier normally. I mean, some people do have a, a minor episode and they, they heal, but mostly we, we come in and, and look at all aspects, all avenues, legal, financial, practical, emotional, health care, and uh, we act as the, as, the, as the children would, but in a professional capacity, mm. and we do it mostly for the children in the end, really, as much as for the parents, because we allow them to have quality time rather than working time yeah. with their family. So it's a wonderful thing you're doing, your business. So how do people contact you, Louise? Uh, we have a 1800 number. It's 1800 370707. Uh, we have a website. It's www.newwaytostay.com.au. We also have a Facebook page, which is just New Way to Stay Facebook. Well, I'll put those up anyway when I share my podcasts and the radio shows. So, and... Claire, how do they find you? Uh, same way, you can call us. Our phone number is double nine seven six five triple two. We also have a website, which is www.shiptonandassociates.com.au. Well, thank you, ladies, for coming in today Thanks, and thank sharing you your wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Thanks for having us. I do have to do a couple of things myself. I don't think I have an enduring guardian. <laughs> But I will get on. <laughs> so to everyone, see you next time. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and 
and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all I'm to find. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across oceans wide. Let your heart be alive. 